Welcome to Women Winning It Writing podcast show. I am your host, Chelsea McCoy, and this is the show where we talk about all things writing and all things editing from a woman's perspective. This show is brought to you by Your Writing Table, where we help you tell your story your way in your words. And we dive into topics like writing in different genres, writing styles, why you need an editor, and more. We also have special guests that talk about the books that they've written and their writing experiences. If this is your first time joining us, again, this is Chelsea. I am a published author, editor, and owner of Your Writing Table, which is a full-service book writing, consulting, and publishing services company. I've been writing and editing for over 20 years and I promise you I eat, sleep, and breathe writing and editing. I am a published author, seven-time best-selling editor. I've published my own books and I'm also part of an anthology or a collaboration as some people call it. So for all of our returning listeners, thank you for being a part of our writing podcast family. We appreciate you and we thank you for all the support and questions that you've been sending in for topics. And thank you for all the positive feedback. Like we appreciate it so, so, so much. And thank you, last but not least, to all of our partners who support us financially and help us to continue creating quality content and also being able to provide this fabulous flat platform for women writers to share their writing journey, promote their books, their brands, and their businesses. So guess what? If y'all want to be a partner too, click on the link at the end of the episode in the notes for more information. So now that we've gotten all of that rigmarole out of the way, let's get ready for today's episode because I know y'all are ready, right? See, we was trying to, you know, be be like real professional like the big wigs do. And we have all of our brought to you by. See, we sound real professional. Y'all can just hit me in the comments for that. Okay. (laughs) So on today's show, we are going to go into a different zone. We're going to go like back in time, literally. So we're going to talk about a genre, historical writing. I think we may have had one or two other guests that discussed it, but um Today's guest is going to bring it from a different perspective. And so I'm excited to talk with her today because she has written, she's got a series and we're going to let her tell you more about it, but she's actually got a series on historical fiction and the character who is the star cute character like I mean I just fell in love with her um, from the beginning and so without further ado please welcome it's Joy Johnson to the show Joy welcome to the show thank you so much for joining us we are so glad that you took some time out of your schedule to sit with us for a little bit so let's just dive right in tell us a little bit about yourself and your books well um i grew up in orange county california and um i did have a very stable and loving home thanks to my parents deciding to break generational curses before it was cool <laughs> and uh Growing up, um, I can't say I really had any creative ambitions, but um, I kind of just thought I would get married and have kids and be a housewife. And um, I started writing, and it was pretty much a hobby. I was around 14. I loved to read, and I especially loved Anne of Green Gables. And so um, I just started writing like a fan fiction version of it. Mm -hmm. And then I, yeah, I thought that. uh, well, what if I made the girl biracial? Because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to have like a cute little biracial girl in the story. And as 
as I was writing it, I thought, well, I know she's going to have some hardships, but at the end of the day, she's going to settle into this small hometown and be accepted. And it was kind of actually like a parallel to how I thought my own life was going to go. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I thought like, well, you know, I'll travel for a couple of years and then I'll marry the boy next door. But as I got older... Um, marriage was actually something that wasn't going to happen as easily as I thought it would. And I started realizing that this really kind of small and happy life that I wanted to be part of, it kind of didn't want any part of me. And so (laughs) I was, what's happening? Why am I not, you know, I want to be a housewife. I want to be like the little woman and nothing's coming of that. And so, um, at a certain point in my early 20s, I just kind of felt like, you know what, it's time for me to see what I'm made of. And yeah. I ended up moving to work. Yeah, so uh, it was my first time on my own. I moved all the way from California to New York. Wow. You know, most people, they'll move like down the street. And I was like, no, I'm going to be on the other side of the country. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so uh, being there was really great. And you know, I went there thinking like, oh, maybe I'll meet somebody here and, you know, and I can still settle down and be the little wife. But the more I was in the city, the more I was like, uh, you know, what? I think my life is going to be a little bigger than than I planned than I expected. And my writing kind of came back to me out there. And it was like, you know what? This is not just a hobby. It's, it's actually I think it's my calling. And I think I need to I need to dust off that old fan fiction and that's how I started writing Crescent Waterbee. Oh, wow. So it's true. Sometimes a change in your atmosphere really can get your creativeness flowing again, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, most of the time people, you know, they go to a big city and they're like, oh, it's too much for me. I need to go back to my hometown. And I got to New York and I was like, where have you been all my life? This is, <laughs> this is oh, it embraced me. And I, you know, uh, different circumstances came up and I ended up having to move back to California. But New York was like, it was like college. It really, it changed my life. And I can't recommend when you're a young person, like definitely do something that's the complete opposite of what you did growing up and see what you're made of. I, I can't it. recommend. That. <laughs> that's almost like, you know, I, I, I encourage, um, you know, girl, young girls, well, guys, too, if you ever have the experience and you go to college to live on campus, because just like you were saying, relocating is also something that if it's something that you want to do or something that's on your list, you know, take advantage of it and do it. And I say the same with college, because just living on campus and having that experience is is first of all it's once in a lifetime because if you don't do it you know like immediately out of high school or you know when you're going to college it's like it doesn't happen again um right yeah I definitely get that so what was the inspiration for this particular genre to do historical fiction oh well um I was always a fan of the Victorian age and the romantic age which was just before the Victorian Mm -hmm. and so I loved, you know, I loved frilly dresses and tea time and, you know, fancy party kind of things. And, um, but when I got older, um, you know, the more I started looking back and realizing, you know, a girl with some brown in her didn't have the same experience as the girls that I read about. 
And so I started wanting to read books about girls that were like me, but in those long dresses and having those scholarly pursuits. And I wanted to have a story where people of color were in the past, but it wasn't a tragedy. Mm. And I wanted to learn about people of color who had ambitions. And even if they worked as servants, you know, I wanted them to have dreams of being educated and doing something about their dreams and not just sitting back and being window dressing for someone else's life. I love that. And so let's talk about um, the books, the series. So let's talk about Roma and Cress. Tell us a little bit about those characters and the books. Um, Roma is actually an Irish Italian girl and she is friends with Cress's mother and Cress's mother is black. And Cress's mother actually dies in childbirth. And so Roma is actually there when it happens. And it's kind of a, it's a, it's a traumatic experience because the town in which Cress is born is very, very racist. And so there's a mob and there's a lot of frightening events and Roma's kind of in the middle of it. And um, when she has this experience, uh, she becomes inspired later on to become a journalist. And then later on, she also decides that she can take guardianship of Crest. And so the book is set in the late 1870s to the 1880s. And at that time, uh, the Irish and Italians were dealing with a lot of discrimination themselves. There was a lot of ethnic uh, animosity toward them. And so at the time, Roma can really understand how Crest, you know, is going to be looked at in the world. They're kind of like comrades in arms. Mm, and, okay. Yeah, so, but unfortunately, well, or, you know, however you want to look at it, uh, at that same time, the Irish and Italians were actually becoming more accepted into white society. And so Roma is now kind of, she's at this crossroads for herself as a woman and also as a white person. And so she wants to have a career but it's the Victorian age, so what is that going to cost her? And then also, how is she going to keep Cress from being seen as just a servant? And how is that going to affect her? You know, what's, what's it going to cost Roma to, to uh, remain, uh, remain Cress's ally? Wow, that's a deep storyline. And I love how you have that so well thought out because that's not an easy storyline to come up with you know what I mean <laughs> and um yeah I mean even when I read um the portion of it um you had to do some serious research in order to really be you know spot on and to be accurate you know especially writing in a a time period um, specific as that, like the 1800s. And I love how you captured the language and how you describe the atmosphere in such a way that, you know, readers are going to be able to be drawn into these little girls, into their world. You know, you use words like saloon, labor strikes, you know, ice house. Those are words that are definitely not in the... <laughs> And this, I mean, you hear labor strike, but not nearly as frequent, you know, as you hear during that time period. So what was it like taking your mind, you know, from present, you know, to technology and social media and, you know, where we are now to having to focus on yesteryear? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because for me, 
it's actually kind of the other way around. Like I have to kind of bring myself into the present because I'm a big fan of vintage and all things antique. And even like when I was like 12, my fa- my favorite musician was Glenn Miller. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> I was not the cool kid by any means. Um, I, I did not have rhythm. I did not have, you know, I did not have, I did not have the bounce and the, you know, the bounce to the ounce. <laughs> and uh, I was, I was in the suburbs and I was a blurred in the suburbs. And so uh, it was hard for me to kind of find, you know, things that I was good at. I was not good at the current, you know, the, the hip hop culture did not. I was not uh, comfortable there. <laughs> yeah, and that's funny. Oh my gosh! And you know, I'm a Southern California girl myself too. And uh-huh. going to school in San Diego, um, well, went to college in San Diego, not my grade school. I was, yeah, kind of like one of the few. I was one of the the blurts too. <laughs> And I found myself listening to music that I was not familiar with or music that I did not was not part of my daily, you know, uh, playlist when I was around my family, you know, and um, my friends back in, in my in my hometown in the L.A. area. So, you know, like even now I still have some of my old playlists or music that, you know, I've kind of brought over. And my kids are like, Mom, who's Blues Traveler? Who's Natalie Merchant? You know, like who are the, the Cranberries? You know, um, and I'm like, when you are in a different atmosphere, it's called assimilation. <laughs> That's what you have to do. So you adapt and you assimilate. And so I feel like even now we like, well, Chris definitely had to learn how to assimilate and adapt. She didn't have a choice. You know, it was what it was. And I mean, even when you look at the cover of your book, this little girl with this beautifully curly hair, um, it speaks immediately to her her culture, who she is, you know, her identity. Um, what was it like designing the cover to represent Cress, you know, t- for her identity? Oh, well, I wanted it to be, um, it's kind of an arc of the story where, you know, and similarly to my own life where, you know, at first you're doing everything you can to fit in and to assimilate, like you said, but then as you grow and as you get more comfortable with yourself, you start to realize like, I, I am not, I can't be one of the girls that just tucks her hair behind her ears and, Oh my goodness. And Oh wow. Like, like I, you know, I love tai chi. You know, it's, you know, that is not all of who I am. And right. so, uh, Cress's hair in the, in, you know, I just, this was originally was like a Shutterstock photo. And um, I loved, I, the first thing that stood out to me was the hair. And so I wanted that to be the kind of the focus because she's a biracial person. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted it to be very clear that, you know, she's not, she's not biracial, but really black or she's biracial and really white it's like she's right down the middle like when you see her you can tell she has one black parent and one white parent Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so 
the hair on the cover, it just represents her being from this place of like, she's she kind of can't be anything except who she truly is. Yeah. And so for her to like try and like have all these straighteners and have all these things to, to uh, adapt herself to the society around her, she kind of just has to let herself be herself. And then, you know, even though she's the main character of the story, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, she's sort of like this litmus test for everyone around her. Because, you know, for the for most of us, there is some label or some box we can fit into. You know, there's all these man-made constructs out there for us as humans. Right, <laughs> and right. And so, you know, we can say, oh, I'm this race or I'm this you know, I'm in this category and we can find a spot for ourselves. But then there are people who don't easily fit into one or the other. And yet here they are existing. Yes, and so then exactly. The, yeah. And the, and the question becomes, you know, do, does she try to fit into one box or the other, or does she need to make a box of her own? And so that's the, that's the question of the story for Crest is like, do I try to just like be like everybody else around me or do I figure out who I am and make a space for myself? And I love that. And so you're, when you were writing this, like what was your writing process like just to even talk about Cress as a character and all of that? What was it like literally writing, you know, writing her down, creating her, developing her character and even Roma's character? What was that like? Well, um, you know, Crescent Waterby, I classify it as historical fiction, mm-hmm. but also didn't want it to be like this wish fulfillment story. So I wanted it to be realistic, but not tragic. Because obviously, you know, we're all here and alive today, and we had ancestors that were around at this time. So they obviously made it through because we're here, right? Right, so, right. What I wanted to do was find out about people of color in that time period, and specifically in New England, because she ends up living in Vermont. And so, you know, I, I had this idea of like, how how can I have her, you know, break out of the stereotype of she's just here to be a maid or a servant? And was that something that was even possible? And the more research I did, you know, I found out that There were hundreds of Black-owned newspapers across the country, and especially after the Civil War. And, um, you know, I found out that interracial marriage was legal in Canada. And even though it was actually frowned upon, like, it was still legal. And so I just, what I do is, I I research history, then I let it kind of write the story for me. Okay. And I find out that, you know, it's like, well, I have this idea in my head, like, could a biracial girl, you know, have her own great life in this time period? And it turned out that, yes, she could. It would be difficult and there would be challenges, but there were ways, there were workarounds. And yeah. people in in real life did these things. You know, they had, especially like, you know, like I said, in New England, you know, there were a lot of black families that they owned dairies. They, like I said, they were they own newspapers, they own pharmacies, they were doctors, lawyers, you know, they, they had these ambitions and they mm-hmm. fulfilled them. And even though there was racial animosity, it didn't stop them from coming together and 
making great lives for themselves. And so that's kind of what I wanted to wanted to be my focus. And just kind of uh, like with Roma, you know, that kind of ties back to a little bit to growing up, you know, in Southern California, where it's like you have friends of various backgrounds and it's like when we're all kids, it's all good. Right. But then when we get older, it's like decisions start being made and people start realizing it's like, oh, hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe it doesn't have to be so tough for me if I go in this direction. But then if I do go in that direction, what's that going to cost me inside? You know, mm-hmm. because it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like in school, you have, you have, you're friends with someone in school. But then it's like one of you starts becoming really popular and the other person is still kind of a nerd. And so then that popular person starts asking themselves, like, do I, should I keep hanging out with this nerd or should I like start worrying about my spot? And so that's kind of Roma's struggle in the story as she, as she kind of, you know, cause she originally, she's very much about, it's very black and white truth justice we must do these things right and wrong but then you know it costs you something to do the right thing yes it does and then it, uh-huh. it you know it also costs you to uh, sorry it also costs you to do the wrong thing so then it kind of like the balance becomes all right what do i where do where do i want this pound of flesh to come from <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like what, what one way or the other this is going to cost me and so those are the decisions that both Chris and Roma face. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I wanted to know for myself, like, how do you even write something like this? <laughs> because it's so detailed, you know, um, and it takes a lot to, to focus. And I know for you, it comes with ease. And again, I think that when, you know, you're flowing and it's just coming really easy for you. That's the, you know, like that's the lane you need to stay in because it's flowing for you as it needs to. So, I mean, I know Cress is the main character, the star of the show, but do you have a favorite character? Is she your favorite or do you identify or resonate with other characters? Um, to say that, yeah, Cress, Cress is my favorite character and not so much because um, she's not, you know, I, I'm not biracial myself, but I, I do have biracial family members. And so she's kind of like, uh, she's like my literary daughter. I don't, I don't have kids myself. Mm-hmm. But no, I love that description. Your literary daughter. I love that. I think I'm going to have to use that. Do we have a literary family member like our literary bestie? You know what I mean? Like, I love that. I love the description. So before we go, let before we wrap it up, just one last question. What would you say or what would be your inspirational, motivational nugget that you could drop to a young a young woman that would be thinking about writing a book, whether it's historical fiction or any genre of that matter? Um, I would say, you know, whatever, whatever genre you're interested in, um, don't be, don't be afraid to see yourself there. Because like I said, I mean, if it's, if it's fantasy, you know, you're there. If, If it's historical fiction, you know, there were people that were there and even, you know, I, I had, you know, in, in my research travels 
You know, I found out that that there were women of color were pirates. And so it's oh, like, wow. <laughs> yeah. and it's kind of funny because like, I know there's like kind of a big, you know, there's a little bit of a, a stir about Bridgerton and how people think, oh, it's so wildly unrealistic. And it's oh, like, yeah. well, mm-hmm. oh, if you do some research, it's not as, <laughs> <laughs> it's not as far-fetched as you think, huh? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I say that was the one thing. Don't be afraid to see yourself in the story. Because you're there, and it, it took everybody to make the world what it is today, and especially if you're a person of color, it's it's like there's so much culture and so much tradition, and so many beautiful aesthetic things that we embrace nowadays that are there because of people of color. It's not just like you know, oh, you you took my idea and now people of color like it. No, it was. People of color had the idea originally, and then it spread from there. So that's what I would say. See yourself in it. I love that. Perfect. Well, how can um, the listeners keep in touch with you? How can they connect with you? Uh, well, um, on Instagram, I'm at joy, J-O-Y-E underscore Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And then on Twitter, I'm at Johnson underscore Joy, J-O-Y-E. And uh, my website is joyjohnsonpolitelyrefusing.com because that is my motto is I am politely refusing the Kool-Aid. Oh, wow. That's so cool. (laughs) Politely refusing. Gotcha. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. And listeners, don't worry. We'll make sure to put all of Joy's connection information in the episode notes so that you can connect with her. Well, Joy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And we look forward to more Cress books. And we also look forward to just whatever else you're going to come up with in writing. So thank you again for being on our show today. And listeners, as always, keep winning at writing. And until next time, everyone be blessed. Bye for now.